This is the Frogcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. It's a tradition now. Four years in a row, TCU is in the College World Series, as we say on Twitter, hashtag Toad to Omaha, Toad in Omaha. The Frogs were able to battle in in the rain, it seemed like in the monsoon, win the regional, then win the super regional against Missouri State. We talked a lot about how stacked things were in uh, for the Frogs coming into the regional and then the super regional, and then we were able to make it. We're going to talk about baseball. We are going to talk about changes in the Big 12. We're going to answer all your questions on recruiting as well as some issues uh, in terms of play calling and a whole bunch of other stuff on this episode of the Frogcast. With me tonight, we got Jeremy Clark and Daniel Southern. Jeremiah is a little under the weather, so it's just going to be the three of us here tonight. So the show will be about 45 minutes shorter. But we are here tonight to talk about all that stuff we talked that we had in the lead-in and a whole lot more. Jeremy, how you doing tonight, my friend? I'm doing great, fellas. How are you guys tonight? I'm doing well. I'm great. doing well. The, the man behind the throne, Daniel, you doing well tonight, my friend? I am fantastic. Well, I know that you are a baseball junkie, Daniel. You're there for, for most of the games. We all kind of complained, especially you and me and Jeremiah, about the, the way that the Frogs, that we thought we kind of got uh, hosed in the regional. UVA should have been, uh, been a seed and should have been able to host. We ended up with Virginia, DBU, and Central Southwest North Connecticut. And we were able to come out of that unscathed. What did you think about, in spite of the weather, how well the Frogs did, especially in that first regional in Fort Worth a couple weeks ago? Uh, first, to show a little respect, it's Southwest, North, South, Connecticut State. So State. let's get their name. Yeah, let's get that right. And um, what was your question? How, how do we do? Yeah, and they're a candidate for the Big 12. But how did, how did, what, what, what did you think about the Frogs being able to kind of scoot through that first round of the regionals? I was afraid of Virginia. Um more so than anybody, they're just, you know, they've traditionally been pretty good. Um, we've met them uh, a few times in Omaha. They've won it whenever it was last year, year before. No, it wasn't last year. I was Coastal. And that's a good team. Uh, the only thing that actually kind of calmed my nerves, uh, I guess you could say, is that um, after it was announced we, and everyone kind of freaked out, I was like, oh, crap, Virginia, they should be hosting but uh, two of their starting starting pitchers uh, were out, so that made it a lot easier. Um, we ended up going through the regional without a hitch. Um, it, well, except the weather, if you want to count that a hitch, um, that messed everything up. But it was it was great. Uh, I was really surprised how well everyone played, um, including uh, Dallas Baptist, who I thought would. Uh, Really give us some fits, but it, it just didn't work out that way for them. And uh, we took care of business and uh, got to host the Super. Yeah, DPU is one of the underrated scrappy programs in the country. I, I don't like when we see them on the schedule, but I do know it's going to be a good game. So we're able to beat be DBU. We're able to get, get, get around UVA. And that does put us in the Super Regional where we're hosting. We're not hosting the Aggies. We're not going to the Aggies. We actually get Missouri State 
who played very well and got out of the Arkansas regional that was also a day delayed like we were. And we were able to take uh, Missouri State there and, 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 and be able to sweep them in two games. That bottom of the eighth inning, when Evan Scow jacked that home run, I, that seemed like we were down by nine runs at that point when we were only down by one. Did you come to your feet when he hit that thing out of the park? Um, once I finally saw it land on the other side of the fence, yeah, I, I was skeptical. Um, it was pretty windy. And it just didn't look, when it came off the bat, it did not look, from my seat, uh, behind home plate. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> Bragger. Humble brag. Humble. Wait, I thought that was you on TV that was bouncing behind the uh, fence out there. No, no, no. Um, I'm behind home plate, but I'm in the top row. It's a very good seat. Uh, so no TV time for you then. No, actually, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm just next to the camera, and he can't get me. So it's awesome. Uh, cause I don't want to be on TV. Um, anyway, <laughs> it, uh, that I didn't look like it was going to leave the park going off the bat cause the wind was blowing straight in from there and it actually only cleared the fence by a couple of feet. It looked like, uh, and we went absolutely insane. Um, it was such a, uh, it's, that's the best part of, postseason baseball is, is moments like that um postseason college baseball it's it was so much fun and, and you know we we struggled that entire game against their scrub pitcher who who started the game with an era close to five and you know we go out there and make him look like nolan ryan and it was uh very frustrating but evan you know evan Skaug, uh to use a baseball analogy stepped up to the plate and took care of business um and then we were able to uh, close it out, and that was that was the biggest relief I think I've felt in a long time because uh, I wasn't sure what to expect from Missouri State. Uh, I don't remember even knowing that Missouri State existed, um, but then I, once I learned about it, I realized they were really good. They've got uh, that Jake Berger guy. Um, I think he was drafted 11th overall. Um, made him look like a chump. So yeah. it was... Um, it was it was a good game. The next game was a lot more easy to stomach. I didn't need as many tums, so <laughs> it was it was great to see Scout get that hit because he had taken on so much uh, criticism with the way he was just kind of hacking at the ball, missing. For him to go in there and hit that two run shot, that was awesome to see him be the one that got that home run and, and ultimately win the game for the Frogs. That was pretty sweet to see that. Yeah, that was great to see him be able to have that moment and in the way that they pushed him up there, especially for the for the for the fights over the alma mater. He deserved that uh, scout drafted by my Chicago White Sox. So I was excited about that. He's he's from Chicago. So that's got to feel good for him to, to be drafted by the, the South Siders. He's, he's going to hopefully have a good career. Hope that he's able to, to make it up there to the South Side to the old Comiskey Park. We're in the College World Series. Our bracket, our side of the bracket, we, we're, we're familiar with how this works now. We basically have a double elimination with we, – we start with Florida. And then on the other side on, – on our side of the bracket, the other game is, is Louisville and A&M. It's, it's ironic the way that this breaks out because A&M and Louisville have had better teams in the past – that did not make it to Omaha, and I, you know, I think I think A and M might have been the last team that made it, made their way in as, with an at-large bid, and there they are in Omaha. Louisville, same thing; they beat a good Kentucky team. There they are in Omaha. So that that really does set the tone for this first game on Sunday afternoon. It's the it's the it's the late game on Sunday. Florida and TCU. 
I don't know anything about Florida. I don't know anything about college baseball outside of the Big 12. But I do know that TCU and Florida is going to be a big game. And it, it is uh, if you win the first one in Omaha, you are in a much better position than having to fight all the way back with sudden death, everything you do um, from that point on. What do you guys think of the Frogs' chances in Omaha? Pretty good. Well, that was kind of – yeah, go ahead, Daniel. Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, pretty good. I mean, Florida is, is a scary team. Um they're batting 262, and their team—that's for the team. The team average or team ERA is 3.55, which is pretty good. They've got that um, Fiedo kid. He went 18th overall in the draft. I think he got picked by Detroit. Um, that guy is, you know, no doubt their ace. He pitched like I watched some of their game against um, whoever it was, and um, there's so many of the games I can't keep track, and. Uh, that guy has got some stuff, and he's most likely going to be starting, uh, probably going against Janzak, and that's that's you know that's going to be very very difficult. But if it works out like the uh, Missouri State, where they throw their ace and we, you know, uh, chop him up, it's funny. It's like we play to the other level. If it's a bad pitcher, we can't hit them. If they're a great pitcher, we do hit them. I mean, look what we did to the SEC in the uh, in the tournament down in Houston. And um, it's going to be tough. It's going to be an excellent game. Uh, but I, I, I think uh, I saw a poll on NCAA.org or com or whatever it was. Um, right now the poll said at 50-50 based on the votes on who would win the game. And that's about what I feel like what happened? Um, that's how I'm. I, I just can't decide because that is a really, really good team. It's a pretty loaded field all the way around. I mean, you look at the the eight teams up there. On the other side, you got LSU, Florida State, Cal State, Fullerton, and Oregon State. And you know, this is going to be a really highly attended World Series when you have LSU, Florida, TCU, and A uh, and M coming into town. That's it's going to be tough to get a ticket for any of these games, but. You know, when I look back and I looked at when the Frogs got that regional and they had Virginia in there, and I was thinking, oh, my, this is going to be a tough uh, tough for them to get out of because everyone thought Virginia should have had their own regional, and I thought for them to put them in Fort Worth was kind of a slap in the face to TCU. But TCU's 5-0 and right now in the postseason through the uh, regional and super regional, so they're playing some good baseball right now. Obviously, the other teams that they're playing are playing pretty well too. But I think this team – they're the most experienced team there. They've been there the, the four straight seasons now. They know what Omaha is all about. Uh, I think they have the right pieces to get it done this time around. I think it's going to be a, obviously a hard game against Florida coming out of the gates, but I'm going to give the Frogs a chance. I know it's going to sound real homerish of me to do that, but I like TCU's chances right now. They, I you know, kind of doubted them early on, and I'm not going to do that anymore. No, I'm not going to doubt them either because – coming out of that tech series and then the two straight walk-offs to, to end that series against OU. And then you kind of pile all that on top of Luke and Baker's injury. If you would have told me all of that would happen and then we would sweep our way into Omaha, I would not have believed you. So I, I'm not going to be betting against the frogs right now. I, I feel good about what we're able to accomplish. Schloss knows what he's doing. They, they know what they're up against. They're not scared of playing Florida. They're definitely not scared of playing A&M. And uh, it wouldn't be sweet to win this first game and then get the Aggies. I would love that. So uh, it seems to be a tradition like no other, knocking knocking the A and knocking A and M out of postseason baseball. Yeah. So if, if 
That means that A&M would win a game, and that's probably not going to happen. True. I do concede that. I concede that point. Well, hopefully we can uh, come back on in a week or so here and be able to talk about the Horn Frogs and, and what they're doing to to push into the finals in Omaha. If they if they if they win at all, of course we'll have a show for that. But hopefully we'll have some good news next time we're on here for what the Frogs have been able to do in Omaha. One of the other big things. Take a minute to talk about this. I was sit, I was doing what you're not supposed to do, sitting at a red light on Twitter on my phone, and I saw a a, a, a tweet from a Oklahoma sports writer that said Barry Trammell has confirmed the resignation of Bob Stoops as the head coach of the University of Oklahoma. Jeremy, when you saw that, what was your first thought seeing that Oklahoma had uh, changed coaches right here in the middle of June, watching their legend step away? I mean, actually, I thought it was a joke at first because I got several text messages saying Stoops retiring and and everything else, and really, I just couldn't believe it. Uh, it, The timing seemed a little bit odd. Um, You know, they did get through uh, spring ball and and, uh, now through spring evaluations for recruiting, but I think it's a big blow. I mean, obviously, I've got some friends up in Oklahoma, and that's all they talked about for a week straight on the the radio stations up there is – you're losing. It's basically essentially the same thing as uh, Gary Patterson saying he's going to retire from TCU. That's the kind of blow um, that OU fans are kind of hitting right now. But the good thing for OU is that they've got Lincoln Riley, and essentially would be kind of the same thing if Gary Patterson was to retire. You'd have a guy like Sonny Cumbie probably take over the reins. But uh, you know, I, I do think it will affect recruiting. Obviously, uh, Ron Tatum's already switched from Texas to Oklahoma. There's going to be a lot of uh, uh, buzz around the program because they are hiring a, a young coach, Lincoln Riley, and that's kind of the new wave now. You've got guys like Tom Herman that are young coaches, and now Lincoln Riley at OU. He's only 33 years old. He's got some skins on the wall for uh, his job as an offensive coordinator uh, at Oklahoma and East Carolina and in those places. But uh, and they just hired Ruffin McNeil today um, to join the staff, and that's a that's a really good hire. I love that coach. But uh, yeah, I was completely shocked by it. And the timing just seemed really odd uh, to me. But in the long scheme of things, I think Lincoln Riley is going to get the job done at OU. Uh, I don't see them taking a, a huge step back, but you never can tell when you lose a iconic coach like uh, Bob Stoops. I mean, I'm sure he'll have a statue right, right outside uh, uh, the stadium up there in Norman here before long. Yeah, the – the thing is, you don't want to follow the legend. You want to be the guy that follows the guy that followed the legend. So it'll be interesting to see how this works out with Lincoln Riley. I, I really am focused. I think it's a great hire. I think it's as it's a strong a hire as they could make. But it sure uh, it sure is going to be interesting to watch. It's kind Daniel, of one of those things. It's, it's Jeff, not to interrupt you, but it, it seemed like, it, you know, in, in the media, you find out kind of kind of uh, last. You you don't hear the stuff that's going on inside programs like. There's several things that you could talk about TC football that goes on inside the program that the public really never knows about. And that could be the same case. So up at Oklahoma, they could have known Bob Stoops was going to retire for a few months now and just felt that the timing was right to do it now because they named Lincoln Riley head coach almost immediately. And so it kind of seemed like Bob Stoops probably let his coaching staff and uh, all the football administrators up at Oklahoma uh, know of his intentions, and that's why he had such a quick hire for Lincoln Riley. I mean, there was no coaching search, nothing. They just automatically – they didn't even hire his own brother, Mike Stoops, who's been a head coach before, not not a great one. He's yeah, more he's of awful. A, a better – he's better as a defensive coordinator, but um, I, I think they already had the plan in, in, in place, but 
uh, like I said, you know, Lincoln Riley, he's a he's a, a good young coach. It's funny because I talk about Ken Seals all the time from uh, from uh, Weatherford now, not Azel, and see he's at Weatherford now, but he was just up there uh, a few weeks ago and 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 really. Uh, they left, and two days later, Bob Stoops is retiring, and and they said you you had no idea how you know entranced he was into Oklahoma and how much he was talking up the program and everything else. And then two days later, he's retiring, and uh, they said it was just a real real uh, funny deal how you know sometimes coaches can can put on a certain facade where you don't even know what's really going on, and uh, that's kind of what happened. And you know here, here you have a guy who probably knew. He was going to be retiring in a few days, but just never said anything about it. Yeah, the shock of it has, has started to wear off on me, but I'm really going to see the impact that this is going to have on the Big 12. I, I think we can all agree as, as big as uh, homers as we are. Bob Stoops was the best coach in the Big 12. That's, you know, I, I love Gary Patterson, but Bob Stoops has done it longer and has done an amazing job there just in terms of his longevity at a Power 5 program to win that many conference titles. Daniel, do you think this is good or bad for the Big 12, or what's the what's the big impact on the Big 12 with with our legend stepping down? Is it uh, is it going to help the conference in any way? Hurt us? What do you think the impact is? Um, yeah, it, it depends. Is Lincoln Riley going to have the same influence over referees when he throws a fit and throws his headset on the ground to get uh, a penalty called because it didn't get called? Um, that's what Stoopsta does. Uh, No, nobody. Yeah. Tough crowd. Okay. No, no, no. So, oh, I'm, I don't think no. they will. No, no, I don't. I, <laughs> I, I, I was just kind of reliving the last two minutes of that game as you said that, and I wanted to throw my computer across the room. Yeah, so, yeah, no, I don't yeah. think it will. I had, I had the visual. I had the visual, Daniel. Sorry. Yeah. That's all right. Uh, well, I, I couldn't exactly remember. I just remember him throwing a fit, and the referees went his way. Um, but I don't know if it's good or bad. I haven't. I don't know that much about Lincoln Riley. He, um, I know he's 33, the same age as me. I feel like a complete loser. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, he's head coach of Oklahoma. And um, that's just crazy. Um, it's it, it, it's good because, in a way, because it's, like Jeremy said, the trend of going the young coach, the whole Tom Herman feel, that flashy um, – maybe Kingsbury-ish uh, type thing as opposed to Stoops, who was, you know, a legend. I mean, the guy had uh, more conference titles than he had home losses, which is just unreal. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it could be good for the conference as far as um, just uh, like some kind of uh, refreshing change, you know, um, you know, it could be good for Oklahoma. They might have a couple of down years as he adjusts. Um, to running something as massive as that program, and there's a lot more to it than just uh, you know being a coach. Um, it's it's not quite as bad probably as being in Tom Herman's spot down in Texas having to deal with those people, but it's still uh, you know completely different than um, you know like a TCU where it's not as crazy of a uh, political type uh, things going on within within the school. Y'all know what I'm talking about, but. Um, we, we'll see. Uh, I, I think um, I'm glad to kind of see Bob Stoops go because um, he was really good. But I, uh, but now we've got two young head coaches at Texas and OU, so it, it might do something to um, 
you know, kind of boost the image of the conference, which I would like. Yeah, that's that's one of the things too. It just uh, the Big Twelve has gotten so much criticism over the last couple of years, and and to have another young coach to kind of energize the conference isn't isn't a bad thing at all. And the the way I kind of look at it is, you know, OU fans are obviously upset that Stoops is leaving, but it, as uh, you guys, as TCU alums and, and the TCU fans out there, how would they feel knowing if Gary Patterson retired and yet a guy like Sonny Cumbie came in to be a head coach? They'd probably still be pretty optimistic that you're still going to have a good team. And as much as people love Sonny Cumbie, that's the same way OU fans feel about Lincoln Riley. And I think that's why the transition will go a little bit uh, smoother than what a lot of people expect at the moment. Yeah, I agree with all that. It'll be interesting to see um, what what goes on with Oklahoma because they're they're the conference favorite. I'll be interested to see if they still get picked to be the conference favorite. Oklahoma State is probably going to give them all that they've got this year, but Mike Gundy never really figured out how to beat Bob Stoots. We'll see if he's able to figure out how to beat. See if the mullet can beat Lincoln Riley. So speaking of him, did the mullet can beat a contract today or something? Yeah, yeah, I think he's up over four four million now. He's a four one four two. Yeah. yeah. That'll go a long way in Stillwater, Oklahoma, I bet. (laughs) It's like a million per inch of mullet. (laughs) That's great. That's great. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if any coach matches their fan base as much as Mike Gundy. So (laughs) I think my favorite, I've I've ever used this quote before, forgive me, but my favorite quote ever is from Spencer Hall, who runs the shutdown full cast. And he said, Mike Gundy is living my white trash dream where you grow a mullet, pick a fight with your boss in public, and kick so much ass they can't even dream of firing you. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. I just absolutely love that. So, All right. Well, let's, uh, let's go into some reader questions, some listener questions. We posted this on Hornfrog Blitz, and we got a lot of positive feedback with some questions as well as on Twitter. Jeremy, we're going to put you on the hot seat. I know that you'll have plenty to say about this, but we got about 10 or 15 of them that we're going to move through. Let's start with the most asked question. I'm just going to ask this. No no comment. I'm going to open as open and ask this as open as I can. Tell us about Willie Allen. Well, um, you know, all I can really say on subject is he's transferring from LSU. Um, I know he wanted to go to TCU. LSU's blocked him. Um, rumors out there are saying that LSU feels that coaches were tampering with Willie um, prior to him wanting to get a transfer. And so that's why TCU's been blocked. Uh, coaches can do that. Um, so the best, the best, uh, if Willie doesn't transfer to a FBS school, he could go to a junior college. Uh, since LSU did not release him, he has to stay there at the junior college for a year, even if he does get his AA uh, and would be able to graduate in December, he would still have to be there until May just because LSU did not release him to TCU. The good thing on that is if Willie goes to a junior college, he's not sitting again because last year he hurt his foot, so he had to sit out anyway. He redshirted. Uh, if he goes to a junior college, he can obviously play this year as a redshirt freshman, and he can be recruited by TCU. He can't talk to TCU right now because LSU has blocked him, but if Willie does go to a junior college, TCU then, once he enrolls into a junior college and starts his uh, fall camp, TCU can actively recruit him and, and reach out to him and talk to him at that point. And basically, he's just like another recruit. TCU can come in, 
offer him a scholarship. And if Willie genuinely wants to go to TCU, he can accept that scholarship, commit, sign in December or February, whenever whenever they want to sign with the early signing period, which I'm, I'm assuming would be December. But he would have to stay at the college until May since LSU's blocked him. Now, a lot of these cases, when a school blocks a kid, he ends up going to junior college. Sometimes that school just says, you know what? Forget about it. Let's just give him his release. And last I'd heard is that Willie was going to try to appeal the uh, release in LSU blocking TCU, but haven't heard the latest on that. I don't know really what he's doing. I was kind of surprised that he went out to visit UCLA. Well, not really surprised because a lot of kids would love to go out to LA and see that campus and uh, see the scenery, if you know what I mean. And uh, but I, him I going about. Him going down to Waco was kind of kind of a uh, eye opener for me because that's one school I would never be able to see him at, uh, not because of what's happened, just because I know he really never thought about Baylor throughout the process. It was really either LSU or TCU, and uh, smart kid. I would, yeah, I would, I would really, I would really, really be shocked, almost to the point of uh, Andrew Billings shocked if he did end up going to uh, Baylor over uh, over anyone else but you know we'll see what happens it's it's a uh, it's a process right now and never know he never can tell what a what a 19 year old kid's gonna do but I would say at this point that TCU can't talk to him uh, the only way they can talk to him is if he does enroll into a junior college and once he starts fall camp and he's a student slash athlete then TCU can go in and start recruiting him again at that point once Willie goes to junior college, he can go to any college he wants to. So, you know, becomes he he becomes a uh, recruit again, which basically he's a recruit right now because he's taking these official visits. But for TCU fans, I know it's not really what they want to hear. But you know, like I said, I'm not going to go into every juicy little detail. Just know that from what I understand from the LSU side is that they believe that TCU tampered with. Uh, talking with Willie uh, while he was still a student athlete at LSU, and that's why he was blocked. And everyone that follows Willie on Twitter knows that Willie loved TCU. I mean, the guy just, he was an open book about it, and uh, you can't confirm if the rumors about them blocking uh, TCU because of the coach's tampering or just because they just want to be a certain way and know that Willie really wants to go to TCU and they just want to block him that way. Who knows, and uh, we may never find out, but as of right now, as of uh, June 14th, 2017, Willie's not going to be at TCU anytime soon. You know, it's amazing to me the the way that Coach Ogeron has already basically uh, acknowledged the threats of the University of Texas in terms of the spat that they're having over running every school out of satellite camps that he can out of the state of Louisiana or the, whatever we call the satellite camps now. As well as just the, the the fear and pettiness of blocking Willie Allen from going to TCU. Now, if we had LSU on the on the schedule next year, totally justifiable. I get sure. how that works. If we're in the same conference, absolutely. Yeah. But to just block that is so petty. And you know the problems that Ogeron is having in North Louisiana, I think, are going to start to spill into the rest of the state. And I know that they hired him, Ogeron, not because he's a great tactician, but they thought he was a great recruiter. And if this blows up in his face, which I'm seeing it slowly do, this is going to hurt what a program that should, for 
should be thriving, and they can't get out of their own way. So I'm really curious to see the impact and the blowback this is going to have on LSU because those Louisiana boys, they talk to each other. Texas is right. a big state. Louisiana is not. If you're a if you're a high three to a five star in Louisiana, you all you know everybody of that ilk. And those boys talk. And I'm going to be really interested to see what happens in the future going forward with because uh, I don't think Ogeron is treating these young men with respect. That's just my bluntest way to say it. Yeah, I will, and I will admit that I think Justin Rogers' commitment to TCU did have something to do with this, just because. Oh, absolutely, it, absolutely. It, it, and you'll never have any LSU fan admit that, or or a member of their coaching staff, or anyone else involved in the program. But I do think that it was kind of a, it, it was really a head-to-head battle. You hear you have the number one quarterback in the state of Louisiana, LSU's all over him, uh, the number three player overall. And here he is going to TCU, and that was that was a wake up for them. You, you have Ed Orgeron having to quote unquote protect the state of Louisiana because he doesn't want to lose recruits, and he's wanting to kick out these schools going into uh, Louisiana at these satellite camps. Well, guess what? TCU is at Baton Rouge today. They're at Southern at their camp. Um, TCU's it. here. TCU's here to stay in the boot. I mean, they've always recruited uh, Louisiana for as long as I've covered the team. They're gonna keep recruiting Louisiana and they're going to keep getting these better players like Justin Rogers. Justin Rogers has a lot of influence on, on a lot of these recruits. And I know some of the questions are when is Justin, Justin Rogers effect going to take place? It will. I mean, it's just got to have, you just got to give a little bit of time, but it certainly did open some eyes down there in Louisiana when he committed to GCU over LSU. You know, the larger point of this that I, that gives me a lot of confidence and I'm, I'm more bullish on the big 12 than a lot of people are in terms of what the, the conference is going to be in 20 years, 10 years. This is great that we are generating uh, publicity with recruiting battles and that we are expanding our footprint. I think it's good that Texas is going into Louisiana. I think it's good that TCU is, is not just going to get two or three players that are kind of diamonds in the rough, but we're, we, we could land three of the top four players in the state of Louisiana to TCU. I think that's good for the conference. I think it's good for us to expand our recruiting footprint and we need to get the sec out of texas and we need to continue to expand our recruiting footprint and justin rogers is going to be the cowbell of that he's going to be the 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 pied piper of leading some of these players there so let's go ahead and switch gears you kind of acknowledge can i can i can i give a shout out real quick you gotta you gotta give a shout out to uh justin rogers brother because that guy's the biggest advocate for tcu uh, when it comes to battling LSU fans, I mean, this guy will go toe to toe with any LSU fan out there, uh, just just giving praise to TCU and the development of players. And it's fun if you're not following that guy. If you have a Twitter account, you need to follow him. His his Twitter is at Jadarius M underscore. That's J A D A R R I U S capital M underscore. You got to follow this guy. He loves giving LSU fans some uh, some facts, and uh, it's it's fun it's fun to see that. The brother of uh, TCU's highest rated recruit out there is, is actively recruiting all these guys in Louisiana and just making sure they have the facts about TCU and, instead of uh, just, oh, LSU is better than TCU because we have 100,000 fans. That's so right. He, get, he, he gets out there and gives the facts. So shout out to that. Shout out to Justin Rogers' brother, man. He's, he's doing the thing out there on Twitter. Yeah, he is like must-see TV on Twitter. 
And I'm not going to acknowledge the name of the grumpy old guy that's the SMU that, that was that went to SMU law school, but to watch him school this grumpy old man on Twitter is is just pure joy. I absolutely love it. So if you're not on Twitter, you that probably means you have a life. But if you're like me and don't have a life, get on there and follow the interaction with some frog fans, um, especially what's going on in the state of Louisiana. We're, we're we're making some big moves, and I'm glad to see TCU be a part of it. Speaking of uh, expanding the footprint and in, in who Justin Rogers is going to hopefully be throwing a lot of touchdown passes to this year, uh, Terrace Marshall, number one wide receiver, uh, some rate him in the country, number one player in the state of Louisiana, five-star recruit. There's a lot of, uh, of, of energy around his recruitment. I think we all know that's going to take a long time before he says who, where he's going to attend. But Jeremy, there, he, he released a top four that did not include TCU. There's Jeremiah Glenn, your partner in crime that's on the board saying everybody take a deep breath. I got to give a shout out to Pinnacle, who who seems to uh, work for the CIA of recruiting on Twitter. He gets a shout out from me. He's able to follow along with some of these threads. Tell us, give us an update on Terrace Marshall and how you feel about where the frogs stand with him. Well, I know some people have asked if if these other receivers commit, will he still have a spot? And the answer is 100% yes. Uh, Terrace Marshall will have an offer all the way up until the point he signs a letter of intent, whether it's with. TCU or someone else, he will have the offer on the table. Even if he's committed to somewhere else uh, in, in in January or February, and he still hasn't signed uh, by signing day. TCU is going to send a letter of intent to him. Now let's just put that put that down. But uh, uh, he released the top four. Uh, TCU wasn't in there. He had a mystery school. 100% fact, TCU's the mystery mystery school. Uh, I, I think he did that just because of the flack that his good pal Justin Rogers took from the state of Louisiana. And I don't think Terrace Marshall wants to go through the same thing. I think if he includes TCU in anything right now, he's going to catch the same kind of flack that Justin has. And uh, it's not saying that Terrace isn't a man man enough to put TCU out there. I think he likes to have people guessing. I mean, it's fun for him. It's He's the top 10 recruit in the country. I don't blame him one bit, to be honest with you. I think have fun with the process. And there's nothing greater than to uh, – kind of pull the wool over some people's eyes and, and uh, fool everyone uh, with, with him not mentioning TCU. But TCU has done an outstanding job recruiting them. They were the first program to offer Terrace. Uh, they're still on them very much. Uh, everyone I talk to uh, says Terrace loves TCU. TCU obviously loves him. The people that – some of the people that we've talked to, uh, Jeremiah and myself, everyone has pretty much convinced themselves that – TCU is the top school. Now, I'm the skeptical. I'm the I'm the guy that will not believe it until I see Terrace Marshall's facts, you know, getting tweeted out by TCU football. That's that's me. I'm I'm cynic in that. I I, I do want to believe that TCU can get the type of player Terrace Marshall is, but I'm also going to be realistic in, in knowing that TCU's been in this position before. Dare I mention Dalen Mack, Miles Garrett. Uh, Tyree Cleveland, some of these big-name, high-profile recruits. Uh, TCU's done an excellent job recruiting in years past, but for whatever reason, those kids decide to go somewhere else. So I'm kind of in that boat right now. Do I believe TCU has a chance to get Terrace? Absolutely, yes, 100%. Do I think he's going to go there? I think it's about a 25% chance right now. I do think TCU is rated higher the, than at least three of those top four schools in, on that list. Uh, I, I do believe LSU and TCU are still the top two schools for him, but he has his top four. He has this mystery school. Maybe he's fooling everyone. Maybe he really does like 
those top four he listed and just wants to uh, focus on those four schools. But, you know, it's going to be fun to watch. He's a, he's an awesome, awesome kid. Uh, I, I was actually the first person to ever interview Terrace. It was funny because no one really knew how good he was going to be. But I saw TCU offering this kid who was barely a, barely a sophomore. And obviously, once again, they saw something in him that others didn't see quite yet. So it was great for them to uh, get on top of him early. That means a lot to him. And uh, obviously with his good friend Justin committed and pushing him every day to go to the Frogs, it can't be a bad thing for the Frogs to, to have that guy uh, in their corner. No, I would love to see us land Terrace Marshall, and I'm so glad to hear you say we're in, we're in that top five. And, yeah, I do think it's going to be TCU and LSU, and I really think it's going to be about fit and about what happens on the field this season. So I'll be curious to see how that all shakes out, not only for our offense but for LSU's offense. Right. Well, sticking with wide receivers, um, you know, we got several questions about who – we're, who you know who we who we have our eye on as our top five wide receivers? Who are the most likely wide receivers aside from Marshall that we've kind of already talked about? Who are the top three or four guys on the TCU board? And it you know I don't want to make you give a percentage. Don't worry. Who who are the who are the three or four? Yeah, don't most make me likely? give any percentages yeah. for crying out loud. That's right. Who who do you think are the are the the four most likely targets that we will land? Who's the top four or five on the board? And who do you think TCU ends up with in February at wide receiver? Well, the top five on the board is kind of hard, too, because they've offered so many guys here lately. I do know that I saw John Stevens Jr. the other day at the camp, and, and the coaches really love what he can do. Uh, he's uh, a big hit. He's bigger than I thought. He's 6'5", 208. He's not a speed burner. Uh, he runs He runs pretty well. He's a guy that I think could be turned into an inside guy, kind of like a Jason Morrow type that uh, Sonny Cumbie had up there at Texas Tech. But – the other guys, I think Brennan Eagles is obviously used to be a, a, a high target. I don't think he's really considering TCU. Uh, Jalen uh, Waddle is a guy that I know they would love to have. There's there's some people that I talked with that think that he's their top receiver on the board. Might be their top top overall player on their board now that Justin Rogers is off. Uh, there's a lot of people that just think he's the best receiver in the state. Uh, can do so many things with the football on his hands, but I don't really know how good of a chance TCU has there. Obviously we're in his top 12 when he released it, but I I do know they have some uh, work to do with uh, teams like Texas and uh, Florida state, Texas, especially, because I think that's where he's probably going to ultimately end up. Uh, the uh, Tay Barber saga continues and we'll see if he's going to commit this summer. I know he was supposed to be coming on a visit last weekend. I don't think he made it up, but uh, he's a guy that I could see when I talked to him down in Houston, he was really, thinking hard about making a commitment. Now that was before Stanford offered. So it kind of opened up some more options and I can't blame the kid for looking at Stanford some more and, uh, you know, looking at maybe going out there heading West to go see the campus and everything else and check out the academics. When you have a kid that has an offer from Stanford, it's a, it's a pretty special thing, but I think uh, TCU has a really good chance with Tay. I think they have a really good chance with John Stevens. John Stevens is going to be announcing his commitment tomorrow. I feel really, really good about TCU's chances right now. The only other team I could think that would really be uh, in the same, I guess, uh, area TCU is, is Mississippi State. But I really feel good about TCU's chances, especially since that was the last place he saw. And just the way the coaches interacted with him, uh, it was it was pretty eye-opening. It, it really showed that they really wanted him. But you still have guys like Jamar Chase out there 
Frogs want him pretty bad. It's another guy to Louisiana that they've really been pushing for. Uh, Eric Usakama, that's a guy that I thought was going to be committed already. A lot of people thought he might have already uh, uh, gone ahead and made his commitment, but he's still holding out for whatever reason. And, who, uh, who are the other players for him? That's what I, I'm curious why he hadn't committed yet uh, either. Texas, Texas A&M's pretty big for him. Uh, he he okay. does like A&M a lot. The, the two schools that I always hear about, and, and Oklahoma has come into the picture a little bit for him. Uh, I do know Ohio, Ohio State kind of opened his eyes when they came by for spring evaluations. I don't think they ever offered. Uh, but I know uh, Texas A&M, every time someone talks to uh, Eric, it's always TC or Texas A&M that always come out the most. And the last time I talked to Eric was about a month and a half ago, and he really talked good about TCU a lot more than he talked good about Texas A&M. Uh, and and that, doesn't nece- that doesn't necessarily mean that he's a total lock for TCU, but I did uh, kind of pay attention to that. When, when I asked him what he thought stood out about TCU, he gave me several things that impressed him. When I asked him about A&M, he just kind of sat there and – I kind of had to give him an answer because they're in the SEC and he kind of smiled. Yeah, you know, that's that's what it is. So he really didn't have an answer prepared for what he thought about Texas A&M. But uh, Caleb Chapman's another one. Caleb Chapman's one of those guys that got an offer in the spring. Coaches went down there to see him. And uh, he's a big kid, 6'5", about close to 210 by now, can jump through the roof. I think overall they'll probably end up taking five receivers in this class. I know they want to get some big outside guys, and they're always going to take some slot guys. Chase Van Wagoner's a guy that could play slot or play outside. He was impressive at TCU's camp a few weeks ago. Got the offer uh, the night he came out there. And he's probably, along with John Stevens, probably the closest to committing out of all the receivers targeted right now. I would not be surprised at all if by the end of what have we got June 14th. By the end of June, it wouldn't shock me if uh, TCU had commitments from John Stevens and Chase Van Wagoner at receiver, and maybe even Tay Barber. But uh, I feel more comfortable with, uh, more confident with Stevens and Van Wagoner right now. Well, that's recruiting gold right there. That's why you paid to to to, to, to follow Jeremy and know what he's got, know what he's talking about. That's some really good in, intel right there. We we did have a commit over the weekend from uh, from a camp. Uh, you know. This was out of the blue. So I, I know you said you had a lot to share on this. Tell us a little bit about the safety that we picked up from Louisiana. First offer was from TCU within 24 hours. It seems as if he was already on board. We, we, we have thrived off of these kids throughout, throughout the Gary Patterson era. Tell us a little bit about what we found. Yeah, he, he was one of those kids that when you go to these camps, you always find these, uh, these diamonds in the rough that you really don't have any clue about until you actually see them in person because it's funny to watch these camps because you'll see the coaches interact with the kid and they'll interact with each other and, and they, they, see, they see the diamond. And it didn't take long to see Caesar kind of impress the coaches because he ran a 40. A bunch of coaches got him at a legit 4-4. And that really, when you, when you run a fast time like that, you're going to open a lot of eyes, especially Coach Patterson's. And so when you when you have a kid like that, you automatically are drawn to him. He's got good size. He's probably about five five ten, almost five eleven. When I looked at Max Preps to find out who the kid was, they had him listed at five nine. So he's obviously grown uh, since last year. He was kind of under the radar because he didn't play a lot last year because of an injury. But when he was out at TCU's camp, he moved really well. He's going to play 
a safety. They worked him out at corner, but he'll play safety. I think they feel more comfortable with him lining up and, you know, a little bit further away from the line of scrimmage instead of putting himself on an island and covering big 12 receivers. But he does have good ability. He changes direction pretty good. His hips are pretty good. But I think overall that he would look better as a safety instead of a corner. But it's just one of those classic finds. It's like Jeff Gladney. Jeff Gladney was really really under the radar big time a few years ago. Went out to Kilgore, ran a 4-3-8, got offered. And it was funny because I walked over to him and started interviewing him and said, hey, what do you uh, you think about the camp? Oh, I got offered. Oh, what do you think about the offer? Well, I committed. You know, it just happened so fast. <laughs> that's, that's great. And so, and, and Jeff, and Jeff really didn't have. I mean, he had, I believe, like a Louisiana Monroe offer, something, something really small. And and overall, he didn't really pick up a lot of offers throughout the process. Of course, his senior year, he got hurt. But Jeff's going to make some plays this year for TCU. I've I've got him as one of the guys to keep an eye on for defense. He's going to be starting at one of the corners, I think. And uh, uh, he he ran a legit four three eight over the spring they timed him and uh he's about six foot right now so i'm expecting big things for him and that's the kind of that's the kind of thing you see at these camps there was another kid at the last camp this past weekend that was working out at safety and you see the kid he's he's six three he's 195 and you're looking at him thinking man that kind of looks like montreal wilson he really looks like montreal wilson he's not as fast as a safety but man he runs a really good time and look how wide his shoulders are this kid can add 15, 20 pounds easy. Immediately, you hear, that kid's a linebacker. That, that's a linebacker, right? He's not a safety. He's a linebacker. So I would not be surprised if you see TCU moving on uh, Jordan Johnson to evaluate him as a linebacker just because that's the mad scientist and Coach Patterson. He sees what others aren't able to see until several months later. And that's what they saw on Caesar. They saw he's got great speed. He's maybe not a corner for us, but he could obviously play safety, and uh, that's real big for us. You've got to have speed in, on the defense, and everyone knows Coach Patterson loves that speed, and uh, Caesar definitely has it, and uh, I think he's going to be a good pickup. I think he's going to be a great addition for the Frogs. A couple other recruiting questions before we shift gears here. Ben Wilson, he released his top schools. TCU is in that uh, linebacker from out west. Just real quick, tell us what we know about Ben Wilson. Is there what's the – did the, did the Frogs have a chance? Yeah, I mean, they, they went up there, uh, I think, twice. I know Glasgow went up there one time to see him, and another coach went up there to see him. I believe it was Thompson uh, over the spring, and, and uh, they're allowed to have two visits with, with the, with the uh, prospect. But And Wilson came down, I believe, sometime around January. So there's a mutual interest in, in both parties. Uh, TCU really needs a linebacker, and they've been telling Ben Wilson that he definitely fits their mold on defense. He's a, a big kid, 6'2", 220, and can move pretty well. Uh, kind of like Ty Summers, uh, has a chance to get some added weight. And if you look at his top seven, you compare the, the Frogs to some of those other schools, I mean, defensively, he would probably shine the best at TCU. Not trying to put purple glasses on or anything, but just looking at his list, it, it would appear that TCU would have a very good chance at landing him. Now, I'm not going to put in a crystal ball yet on him, uh, I, I do hear great things about uh, TCU and uh, Ben Wilson, but it's going to be one of those things where I think he's going to wait just a little bit longer, and uh, TCU has a very good chance at him. I really like his tape. I think that's the kind of guy that would fit well inside of our defense. You and like then the his last... hair. You like I... his hair. That's what you like. 
I'm jealous of his hair. Is what is what I like. Yes. Like those long blonde flowing locks out there. Well, the only thing better than that would be to have the the, the Gundy mullet. But yes, I'm a little envious of that. I love the long flowing mane. So I'm I'm all for that. Come on down, Ben Wilson. Uh, Eddie Smith. This is the last name I wanted to run by you. Tell us he's 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 on commitment watch. Where where did he, where did the frog stand with him? And do you think he's going to end up being at TCU? Yeah, I think this is one of those. Uh, prospects that Justin Rogers is all over. He's good friends with Eddie and uh, Eddie uh, got a, got an offer from TCU a few weeks ago. He's, he fits the uh, ideal size for a cornerback that you'd want to see six foot, 180 pounds. They uh, have a really good chance at him. I mean, Georgia's come in and, and offer to, and obviously is going to give him a, or give TCU a good run for the money. But I've, I still feel great about TCU's chances for him. I know Jeremiah's got a crystal ball in for him and, he probably knows a little bit something more than I do about it, but I would I would say talking with Jeremiah on this particular kid that TCU's chances are pretty good. Yeah, six foot one eighty, plays in Southern Louisiana. I, re- I like the kid already. The twenty four seven has him listed as the four hundred seventeenth player in the country, so he's right on that border of, of being bumped up. He's a high three star. I could really see him having a good senior year. I like his tape. I like his. I hate I almost said I like his hips. Um, but I like the way his legs are able to move when the ball is in the air. How's that? That sounds a little you can, better. You can, if you're if you're evaluating the kid, you can say if he has good hips, Jeff. Okay. You got to know, know that. Like when you come down and see these camps, yeah, you'll see us looking at these kids like we're looking at a bunch of you know bikini models on the beach. So that's just how you do it. You got to evaluate thoroughly, and you'll see a kid that is six three, two hundred fifteen pounds, and man, that's a good looking kid. And I, you right. know, it's, it, if you're hearing it from anyone else, it's kind of like, man, you're a pervert. It's not <laughs> like that. You know, just it, that's that's just football lingo. It's fun stuff. I'm with you. I'm with you. All right. Well, three more questions here as we kind of move towards the end. Uh, number one, one of the questions that we had asked was, what's going to be the big contrast between Meacham and Cumbie? I know that multiple outlets now are, are kind of spilling what you broke on this podcast months ago, that there was some 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 toxicity in the staff room with with uh, some changes that needed to be made and were, and were made. But what's going to be the big difference, if you can compare and contrast what Meacham does versus what Sonny Cumbie does? And I know we all say don't throw the fade at the four-yard line to Des White, but what do you think is going to be the big difference between those two? Uh, I, I think the the fans that really want to run the football are going to love Sonny Cumbie because he's going to run the football more. Uh, that was one of the things that, uh, from what I've been told, is that Doug Meacham really didn't want to do. Not talking bad about Doug, but he just really didn't want to run the football as much as Gary or, or Sonny would have liked. Uh, Sonny likes to run the football. Sonny likes to use tight ends a little bit better. They're not just uh, these, the slot receivers. He wants to get a tight end that can – uh, kind of be an H-back type guy. That's why they're looking at uh, Brant Keithy uh, from uh, Cinco, uh, Katie Cinco Ranch. And he's, he fits that H-back role that Sonny's looking at. And uh, it's it's going to be different. I know he, that's why you have Kyle Hicks, uh, Shaywo, and Darius. I think Shaywo and Darius could have some pretty big years this year. Um, Kyle Hicks is obviously going to be the featured back, but they're going to run the football more, I think. When you when you got a guy coming in like Chris Thompson, that's a, a great run technique uh, coach. It's, it's going to be uh, you know a, a match made in heaven with the way Sonny wants to run the football and, and the backs that he has to run the football, and with the ability Chris has to teach those offensive linemen the technique to open up the running lanes and uh, to really power over some defensive lines. 
for the guys that really want to run the football, that don't want to see Kenny throwing the football 45, 50 times a game, I think they'll be happy. Well, to piggyback on that, uh, one of the things that I've been concerned about, honestly, is is running back depth. I know, you know, we mentioned we got Shea Will, we got Kyle, we got Darius Anderson, and I, I think all three of those guys are going to be great. And I think they're, I think Kyle and and I think I think Anderson are both going to have big years. But after that, it's just a question mark in my mind. I know we got Sean Nixon. I don't know exactly where he's going to fit into the offense. I know this is going to be his second significant injury to return from. Kennedy Snell and LaKendrick Van Zant. Snell is listed at running back. Uh, Van Zant is listed at D back. Where do you where do you where do you project those guys being able to play in a year and a half, two years? And will either one of them be able to make an impact in the backfield? I guess the better question is: Is Van Zant going to stay on the defensive side of the ball? And if so, will him and Snell uh, see see the field this season? Well, I think Snell is one of those guys that is kind of like Turpin. If, if they're going to if they're going to give him the ball, I don't really see him lining up in the backfield, running dive plays to him. I think it's going to be more off jet sweeps, using a lot of motion. Uh, it, he really didn't run the football a whole lot in uh, Waxahachie. He would only touch the ball seven or eight times uh, a game for them. But it, he's one of those guys that's just sh- so shifty uh, behind the line of scrimmage. He's he's tough to find. And when the game I went and watched him at, he had. I believe seven or eight carries, and he ended up busting a couple of them because he just escapes behind the, line, the offensive line. And uh, the the thing about Van Zant, he's a really good running back. I I think he probably could have been rated a little bit higher as running back, but he's also a really good defensive back. And I think the the, the frogs have really convinced him that if he keeps it on the de- defensive side of the ball, that it could be a life changer for him. And what I mean by that is you have a coach like Gary Patterson and, and Chad Glasgow coaching them at safety. He has a really good chance to become special. He's got great size. He's got great speed. And I think you're going to see him mostly at defensive back. I don't, I, I don't want to say he won't play running back, but I think you're going to see him. He's on the roster as a defensive back right now. And I yeah. think that's where he's going to start off. But what I really heard is that I think the coaches have, con- have convinced him that he is a defensive back, that he's really not a running back. Hey, it's great to score touchdowns and carry the ball, but, man, you, if you really take on the safety position, this could be a life changer for you. So let's just focus on that. And I think he's uh, bought into that, and I think he's going to be special. I really do. I'm looking forward to seeing him on the field. He, I, thought by, I thought him being ranked below Ebner was a mistake. I, I know they played together. I know they're good friends, but I thought Van Zandt, his upside is huge. And what he was oh. able to do on both sides of the ball, I'm, I can't, I'm so glad that TC was able to hold on to him. That was a recruiting masterpiece. I, I will say this. It was pretty funny to, that you mentioned uh, Ebner because when they offered Van Zandt, Ebner was at the camp, and they really wanted to compare Van Zandt to Ebner. So they pulled Ebner aside and said, hey, we need you to work out. We want to compare your buddy. If you want your buddy to get an offer, we need to see how good he is compared to you. And so they did that, and I'm going to tell you right now, Van Zant looked a lot better. It, yeah. And it was that's that's what made the offer a no-brainer for him. I mean, that's that's the way he performed that day in Kilgore. It was it was no doubt that that kid was going to have an offer by the end of the camp, just based on his size and his speed and the way he moved, and the fact that he looked better than the guy that they had committed to them at at the time. 
big fan of, of, of Van Zandt. I'm glad, I'm glad Ebner set him up and then um, they kind of unfortunately parted ways, but I think, I think we ended up on the winning side of that. So yeah, looking forward a, to seeing a, that. it was a great decision by Ebner too, because if he would have came to TCU, he wanted to play receiver. That's why he switched to Baylor. I don't have any animosity toward him doing that. That's no, not at all. It's going to, that's what a kid's going to do. And obviously he would have had a, a better chance when you have guys like Omar Manning and Jalen Rager and Kennedy Snell coming to TCU he probably wouldn't have seen a lot of playing time behind those guys right there. So him going to Baylor was really, you say uh, a business decision in college. It really was a business decision for uh, Tristan Ebner because that's where he was going to see the most playing time at Baylor. One of the teams I'll be curious to see what they do going forward. I, uh, now I just hate him in the old fashioned way that there are rivals. I actually think Matt rule is a good man. And I think he's going to do what he, what needs to be done with their culture there, which is 10 times more important than, um, than winning football games. But I think they're going to lose a, foot, a lot of football games and uh, become a healthier culture. So good for them. That's what, uh, that's what we, we need them to, to not be the punchline of the conference anymore. If they are the way that they were in the late nineties. So that's my little two cents on Baylor. There you go. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, we've been going for an hour. This is insane. I'm looking at an hour, three minutes since we got started. So we're probably right at an hour. So we're going to end with just a really quick hit here. We talked a lot about barbecue last time, and I felt like we could have done an entire show. We're just going to end really quick here on what's the best Mexican food that you guys, uh, if you could go anywhere to eat in DFW and get good Mexican food, where would you want to go? Daniel, you said Dickie's last time. I had so many people say they wanted to throat punch you, so you can't say Taco Bell. What are <laughs> if you between uh, you can you can go first, Daniel? What's the what's the best Mexican food that you can get for us in DFW? Taco Bueno. No, <laughs> no. I'm right there with you, baby. <laughs> Some party burritos right now. Yeah, I do like Taco Bueno. Uh, just you know, like a working lunch type thing. Um, I like uh, I like the original. Um, I like Benitos uh, down there on Magnolia. I think. Or it's close to it if it's not. Um, those are probably my my places. I mean, you know, you can always go to Joe T's, but the food's not exactly what you go for at Joe T's. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else, and I can't. Uh, El Phoenix is, you know, always a, a, a staple. Um, places like that. Um, I don't know of any super spectacular place like like we did with barbecue y'all you know knew some really really good places to go i just know like some you know pretty standard uh you know quality staples uh that aren't you know taco bell so that those are the kind of things i like benito's is really good yeah benito's down there on on magnolia i love that that when i was in school we used to eat there that was a great place jeremy what's the best mexican food you know of in dfw Oh man. Uh you know the the place that I like to go for atmosphere is obviously uh golly, I just lost my train of thought. What's the place that everyone goes to? Uh, Taco Bueno. No, no, no Joe T Garcia. Yeah, Joe T. See, this is old man syndrome kicking in right here, guys. Yeah. I literally had something on the, the tip of my tongue and I just really blanked out. Uh, you know, the thing, I really don't go into Fort Worth. I'm, I've got some great Mexican food out here in uh, the Azle area, but when I do go out to Fort Worth, I go to Los Vaqueros. Um, I know uh, Mi Cocina is pretty good. I've always I've always liked that pretty good. Uh, the, uh, 
Boss Makahetis. I don't know how to say it, but uh, that's a pretty good place. I believe that's right. Other, I'm 25% Spanish, and I don't really speak good Spanish, so don't hold it against against me. Uh, Chewy's, uh, you know, Chewy's is kind of one of those things, those places too, that you have a good atmosphere and it's it's pretty decent Mexican food. And uh, the one place I always go to in Lake Worth is Mexican Inn. I mean, I know it's not the greatest food, but it's good enough for my belly, so that's uh, good enough for me. Yeah, I would love for everybody to post on the board what what their best Mexican food is. DFW, you know, wherever you're at in Texas, or, you know, outside of Texas, we would love it because we are we are connoisseurs of good food. A couple of things I remember. I remember when I was in in seminary at Bright at TCU, there were two places I used to hit up. One of them was was the old El Phoenix in the Ridgemar Mall, the White Settlement. Oh and yeah. You, you could go over there for lunch, and if I had a $10 bill, I knew I could walk away full. Man, I love that old El Phoenix at the Ridgemar Mall. It was right there on the west side. You walk in. It was just kind of like right there on the edge by the water fountain. It was a good spot. I forgot that was there. That was that great. That was awesome. Yeah, that that was back when, when Ridgemar was, was a pretty dirty butt. Um, and I, I really liked it. I used to love going there and then they fixed it up and all the Alito people started coming in and I didn't fit in so much, but the other place that I loved and I live, I live in suburban Chicago and there's some, there's some decent Mexican food up there, but there's one place that, that, they, that we don't have and that's Poncho's. <laughs> and I, <laughs> oh I gotta, my gosh. Oh my gosh. I love ponchos some when you don't care about quality you just want volume i I just got to tell this quick story some of our listeners will know who this guy is there a guy named brian fail he was a pastor at south hills christian church many years ago and then he taught at bright and at tcu for 20 some years he and i are really good friends and about once a month for about four years we would go to ponchos and we would go as late as we could for lunch and we would eat for about an hour, and then we would talk about life and family and church for like two hours, and then the, the waitress staff would shift and be like, well, do you want an early dinner? Oh, sure, let's have an early dinner. And we would we would almost get run out like uh, losers at a bar at closing time out of, a, out of that ponchos that was down there on 20. Um, oh, my gosh, that was such good food. The only problem was you paid for it for about the next 36 hours. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's uh... – so my father-in-law loves that place too, and uh, raise for, the flag, uh, baby. Yes. So for his birthday, he always puts us through the uh, what I refer to as the hell of eating <laughs> Mexican food uh, over there for at least two hours. And I tell you, I don't miss ponchos, my friend. Oh, well, when I'm down there for uh, the the last camp of the summer, I won't make you go to ponchos with me. I'll just go on my own. I have a feeling I'll get kicked out of the the place we're staying with our family. My wife might kick me out of bed for going to ponchos, but I don't care. Uh, oh my gosh. I love ponchos. I'll go. I haven't had ponchos in so long. <laughs> we used to go all the time back in the day. Thank you, brother. I knew I could count on you. I absolutely knew I could count on you. <laughs> well, fellas, we have come to the end here of our show. We have hit well past the hour mark. we got a lot of good content on this. Just, just in closing, if you are not following us on iTunes or Google play, we would love for you to do that. If you're on iTunes, please go give us a review. Those reviews help drive our ratings, help drive um, our placement. When people start looking for our podcast, we want them to know about it. And if you're on social media, you can find us at the Frogcast for uh, Google Frog or search Frogcast on Facebook. Also, you can find us at the Frogcast TCU on Twitter. Please share it. Please retweet it. We would love to get the word out. If you like this show, we want this crowd to continue to grow. Our, our numbers have really just 
gone up significantly since we've shown 24-7 with Jeremy and Jeremiah. We're glad to be here. We want all Frog fans to know about the good stuff that's going on at Horn Frog Blitz, TC 24-7, as well as the frogcast.com. Well, guys, by the time the next time we talk, TCU might be the world champ or the the national champions of TC of, of NCAA baseball. Hopefully, we'll have a few more recruits in the barn, and we'll uh, we'll talk about some good whiskey when Jeremiah gets back because I think he's got plenty to offer. So, for Jeremy Clark, for Daniel Southern, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening to the Frogcast. <laughs>